If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to open them up to the Gospel of Mark today because we will be there, surprise, surprise, as we have uh, resumed our study in the Gospel of Mark and as we approach the Holy Week and Easter, we want to kind of get ourselves in the narrative framework that Mark provides for us for those events. I do want to mention that next Sunday would be our first Sunday in April, and it will be our first Sunday in April, and uh, normally on the first Sunday we celebrate communion. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to get a hold of some grape juice, and if you don't have grape juice, then, you know, if you uh, want to use some other beverage, that's fine, and just get a hold of a piece of bread, and uh, next Sunday, uh, during our worship service, we will have an opportunity to share in communion together. Again, we do not have to be in proximity to remind ourselves of the work that God has done in Christ through the Lord's Supper. So I really want to encourage you to find or get your hands on some uh, uh, of the elements, uh, the grape juice and the bread, so that we can do that together next Sunday morning for our worship service. Pray with me. Father, we thank you today for the capacity to be in your word, even though we are uh, disconnected physically. Father, we know that uh, gathering around your word joins us together spiritually, and we want to do that this morning. We pray that you would teach us, lead us, guide us in all truth, that we might serve you better, that we might look more like Jesus at the end of this time together than we do at the beginning of it. We thank you in advance in the name of Jesus, that name above all names. Amen. I don't know about you, but I like ice cream from time to time. I've got to say I'm not the biggest fan of Brahms, but I know that's a, a point of disconnect with some of you. Um, I don't know if you've ever counted up or noticed how many different flavors that the different ice cream makers have. For example, Baskin Robbins advertises 31 different flavors, which is, in their mind, one for every day of the month. And then they have their seasonal flavors, which are there's an untold number of those. The last time I looked, it was about 52. Bluebell ice cream, I don't know if you've heard of that. We became a, I became acquainted with Bluebell when I lived in Texas. They have 24 year-round flavors and then a changing number of seasonal flavors. Ice cream comes in numerous flavors. Whenever I'm in New England, I go looking for some purple cow ice cream. Now, if you've never had purple cow ice cream, you have not yet lived. Purple, ice, purple cow ice cream is black raspberry ice cream with chocolate chips and white chocolate chips mixed into it. It is amazing. Can't get it here. Very sad about that, but nonetheless, it's my favorite flavor. Well, ice cream is not the only thing that comes in multiple flavors. Human failure comes in multiple flavors as well. And there are all kinds of uh, flavors of those failures out there. And honestly, those failures, at least the ones I know about in my own life, they way outnumber the number of ice cream flavors available to you. I can remember I was in the Air Force, I was in England, and I was the, uh, the big boss's kind of aide-de-camp for the International Air Tattoo. At the time, it was the largest military air show in Europe, and it was held on the base that I was stationed at at the time, which was RAF uh, Greenham Common, which is no longer an active military installation of any kind. But nonetheless, all these airplanes came in, there were all kinds of events going on around it, and and I was tapped to be the kind of, you know, go-to guy for it, which was fine until we got to one particular social event, <clears throat> excuse me, one particular social event where the, uh, there was this uh, kind of uh, dinner entertainment thing going on. And I got a message that I had to give to uh, a general that was attending 
that I did not know, had never seen him before in my life, and couldn't pick him out of a crowd if my life depended on it. But nonetheless, it was an urgent message, and I had to go give it to him. So here's the picture. There's a woman up on the stage singing some song, and these tables full of these VIPs were gathered around, and there was this one table with this Air Force general at it, Unfortunately for me, he was not the only Air Force general at it. Unfortunately for me, he was not the only Air Force general at it who had two stars, which was the kind of general I was looking for. And so I tried to very stealthily make my way across the floor toward this table to get this urgent message to this particular general. And I got almost all the way there when the woman who was singing on stage noticed me creeping across the floor. And yes, she stopped singing in the middle of her song, looked down at me with that look that can kill if you're violating somebody's, you know, performance or whatever. I, you know, I probably turned red or whatever, got up to the table and I tapped the general on the shoulder and he turned around to me and I was about to give him the message when I realized it was the wrong general. Failures, <clears throat> mistakes come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. But this morning we're not going to talk about just mistakes. We're going to talk about some other category of failures. And here's the thing. Jesus knows about them. And because he knows about them, we should grab hold of him and his work on our behalf. So this morning, the Gospel of Mark chapter 14 verses 66 through 72. I'd give you the page number for the Bible, but I have no idea what Bible page number it is for you. But I would encourage you to turn there and again, if you're using the live stream off the website, you can use the Bible translation that's to the right of the picture. <clears throat> Mark chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, now get this, Jesus has been arrested. He's been dragged to one of those trial scenes that we have talked about, and we'll talk about some more. And he is followed along at a distance, and he's in the courtyard of this place where this trial is going to take place. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But Peter denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. She probably knew, by the way, he was a Galilean from his accent. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice. You will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and wept. I think what this passage helps us to do, at least in one way, is to help us distinguish between mistakes, which are caused by just human bumbling and, and frailty, and sin. Mistakes can still be tragic human events and, 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 and cause horrific uh, damage, but mistakes are not the same thing as willful decisions to sin. What happens is, Though, you, oftentimes, the mistakes that we made are compounded by our pride or our fear or other emotions that move us into the realm of sin. I can remember way back when I first got my driver's license, my dad gave me permission to drive his car, 
And so I took a friend of mine in a road trip to a nearby college town where he was checking out the girls I was not. And uh, so literally, first day of the driver's license, first day with my dad's car, and I got there, and because my friend was distracted by one of those college co-eds that he was looking at, I bumped into a car in front of me at an intersection. Little dent in the front bumper, not good news. So what did I do when we got back? I lied to my dad. And I told my friend, he had to lie to my dad too. Of course, my dad was an excellent lie spotter. He figured it out pretty quickly. But do you see what happens? A mistake, because of human frailty, gets morphed into sin because of pride, or in my case, in that instance, fear. And what we need to recognize is that sin is a moral category. And like an ice cream that comes in a hundred different flavors, at its heart, sin is still the very same thing. At its heart is what Pastor Laura read to us from, from Psalm 51 in verse 4 this morning. Against you, this is the psalmist talking to God. Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, I'm not pretending this morning that every sin has the same effect on everybody else uh, as each other. You know, there are some sins that are in my heart and in my mind that affect me and my outlook towards other people. There are other sins that I commit that have a kind of a splash in the pond effect with a stone that kind of ripple out and affect other people. But at their heart, at their heart, sin is it's the same. It's, it's a moral failure. It's a function of our sinful nature and our willful decision to act on our sinful nature. So what's Peter's sin in this passage? Well, Peter, you know, this is Jesus' most crucial time. He has been uh, arrested, and he's the focus of all this uh, lethal intention. What's Peter's sin? He abandons Jesus during Jesus' time of suffering. I don't know if you felt how poignant that encounter he had in that courtyard uh, with the girl, Peter's encounter with that girl. He, he in verses 66 through 71, he has this kind of threefold level of encounter. And uh, um, he had been seen with Jesus. His accent has given him away. I mean, these people know that he has been hanging out with Jesus. And what Peter does is he feels caught. He feels the pressure of the circumstances. He feels um, imprisoned in his mind about the, the lethality of the situation such that he does exactly what he had said to Jesus he would not do. He denies him. In verse uh, 68 begins this kind of progressive level of betrayal and denial. In verse 68 is what we almost call the, uh, a legal denial. I don't know him. And in verse 70, it kind of builds in intensity to get to verse 71, where Peter calls down curses on himself in his, in his emphasis of his denial on Jesus. Now listen to me this morning. This is not just some kind of, you know, theologically sophisticated denial of the Messiah. It is that. But it is a very personal and a hurtful abandonment of Jesus during this most pressing time in his incarnation. He's on trial. He's going to die. And Peter says, I don't know that. 
guy. Think about it. I can tell you there have been times in my life where my, I have denied uh, or minimized or, or kind of uh, um, sh sugar-coated or, or made little of my relationship with the Lord. There have been times in my life when I have tried to blend into the crowd and by doing so have denied Jesus. I think we've all had moments like that. Moments when we are standing shoulder to shoulder with Peter and saying, I do not know that guy. Well, what does Jesus do in the face of that? What's his reaction? Now get the picture again. He is on trial for his life. He's been beaten up and he's going to get beaten up some more. And he's had this tremendous kind of interaction with uh, all these uh, all these folks that are um, wanting him dead. But what does Jesus do? While Peter abandons Jesus, Jesus suffers on Peter's behalf. This is an amazing affirmation of his status as the Messiah because you see, the prophecy is coming true. He is the Savior of the world. And his suffering, even while Peter is denying him, is very much in concert with verse 62 where Jesus had said, when quizzed about whether he was the Messiah or not, he said, I am. It's a vivid picture of Romans chapter 5, verse 8, where Paul says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a realization that Jesus knows all there is to know about us. And it's not in spite of that, but because of that, that he suffers on our behalf. There's a parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke to this encounter in the courtyard that Peter has with this, this gang that's, uh, that's uh, quizzing him about his relationship with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 61, at the moment that Peter denies Jesus, Jesus looks straight at Peter, Luke says. He doesn't run from us. So man, if he doesn't run from us, we should not run from him. I think our view of sin is kind of like our garbage can out behind our house. Our view of sin is, it's inside the garbage can, the lid is closed, we can't see it. And the other day I went out to empty some trash and I opened the lid and there was the remnants of some rice from a meal that I'd had previously and it stunk. I threw the bag in there and I closed the lid. It's not there anymore. I can't see it. I can't smell it. But it is the truth that we need to remember that when we think the garbage can lid is shut, God sees right in. He knows us. And rather than making us run from him in fear, it should make us run to Jesus in gratitude. So how do we respond to all this? Our, our question is not if we will have sin, sinful failure in our lives, but what we, will do, what we will do with it when it comes. What are we going to do? Are we going to deny it? Pretend it's not there, which is really the inappropriate response? And in, at least in my experience, what I've discovered is denial contributes to kind of this self-delusional state we can get in, which says, we say to ourselves, I'm better than those other people. I do not struggle in those ways. You've got to be kidding. They did that. I would never do that. Mm -mm. So what's the appropriate response? Remorse. Repentance. It's Peter's broken-hearted response in verse 72. His heart was broken and he wept. 
Until we agree with God that sin is there, listen, until we agree with God that sin is there, the work of forgiveness and restoration is out of our reach. And this is not just, Peter's not just sorry he got caught. Peter has this broken heart over his disappointment of not being there for Jesus while Jesus was being there for him. I think I've told this story before, I don't remember now, but I, I, I had an, a doctor's appointment one time and I had a first period algebra class that was uh, incidentally, you know, the first thing I was going to do in the morning, but my appointment was a little later in the morning and I figured, why go to algebra and then leave school and go to the doctor's appointment? I just won't go to algebra. Unbeknownst to me, the doctor's office called the school and told them that the doctor's appointment had been canceled and they should let me know because I was in my first period algebra class. I was not. When I got back to school later that afternoon, my algebra teacher said this, you're gonna be sorry. And I was. But not just sorry uh, when we disappoint people, but a realization that our sin disappoints God. A realization that our sin estranges us from God. A realization that we have to do something about it, but we are incapable of doing anything about it. So what's the effect that it has on Peter? Well, we get to hear this a little bit later. Because Peter writes his own epistles. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, he says this. In underscoring where we need to go for forgiveness. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the effect it had on Peter after his brokenheartedness. And someday we'll probably talk about Peter's encounter uh, on the lakeside with Jesus, where Jesus goes through this process of restoring him. But that's the effect. And in addition to that personal effect, it spills over, this understanding of forgiveness from sin, it spills over into care and compassion for others. Chapter 4, verse 8 of First Peter. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Man, if there was ever a time when we were called to Christian compassion, it is right now. We don't quit being the hands and feet of Jesus. We just have to find more creative ways to do it. Because it's just a small piece of the realization that we have that Jesus has forgiven us. If we've said yes, we know we're sinners. Yes, Lord, I know that you've come to save me. And, and yes, as we begin to look ahead to, to uh, Palm Sunday and Good Friday and those other elements of the Passion Week, Peter's response to sin needs to be our response. An understanding of where to go for forgiveness and compassion for those around us who also need to know where to go for forgiveness. We need to go to, go to the one who can really empty the trash can. We used to live in a place where uh, trucks would drive around and they would come and they would clean out your place for you if you had a bunch of stuff you needed to get rid of. They'd come and they'd take it away. Of course, they charged you an arm and a leg for it, but nonetheless, they'd come and do that. 
The signs on their trucks said uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Man, that sign could be plastered to all of us. 1-800-GOT-JUNK. What do we do with it? We call the God who is faithful. And we say, Lord, we know we've sinned. We know Jesus came to pay the price for that sin. We embrace that. Not just at a primary moment of salvation, but as an ongoing reality in our lives. Lord, I know I sinned this morning. Lord, I know I sinned yesterday. Lord, I know I'm going to sin today. I'm holding on to that promise of forgiveness from our sin that comes in Christ. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. We pray that the message of forgiveness would ring true today. And we pray that the understanding of that forgiveness would be impetus for us to move out into the world and care and provide for those who need that care. We pray this knowing that Jesus has already done all the work that needs to be done. We pray in his name. Amen. As a way of benediction this morning, uh, Pastor Laura is going to come. And when she's done, we're going to have one last song for you to, to, uh, to meditate by and... Uh, and take care and God bless. Be safe. We're praying for you. If you have uh, ministry needs, please reach out to us and let us know about those. Pastor Lord.